Ephesians, the sixth chapter. You say, oh no, Ephesians again? <laughs> Ephesians again. I told you I could teach that whole book again and not repeat the same message probably because it's so full. It is, uh, it is so full of uh, the wisdom of God and His will. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to start down there about verse 5, go through about verse 8. It says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of heart, as unto Christ, not with uh, eye service and as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. We'll go ahead and read verse 9. And ye masters, do the same thing unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is their respect of persons. Now, here Paul begins dealing with domestic life of spirit-filled believers. Because in the fifth chapter, he told them all, he said, you be filled with the spirit, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit, wherein is excess. Uh, be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. And the reason I got that mixed up is because it is a continual filling every day. You see, people, when we receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, suddenly the needs of mankind become met, every one of them. We become filled with the Spirit of God. And, and so suddenly all the needs all the wants, all the passions, everything that human beings have, uh, it was designed by God to be met through that medium. And so if people don't believe in that, and they just get saved, they're going to struggle through life. This experience was given so that we could have victory in every part of our lives. Amen? So here in, uh, in, in Ephesians, and in Colossians basically says the same thing, Colossians 3 there were many slaves in the Roman Empire. They say that uh, one in three people back in the Roman Empire were slaves. And, I, and that Roman Empire was as big as, I don't know if it was ever big as the British Empire once was, but, but they ruled the known world. Slavery was a very common thing. But I want to look at uh, what, who the slaves were back then and draw some analogies for us today. Uh, the whole foundation of the Roman Empire was built upon forced labor, slave labor. And so the, the whole edifice of the Roman ed Empire and state and society was built by those people. And they had no rights at all. Uh, in fact, there were, they had no legal status or individuality. These slaves could not create relations or have families, nor could they own property. They were the property of their owner, and it was permanent, and there was no way out of slavery. No way out. In fact, one of the ancient books that they discovered in some ruins of the Romans, they found a list of a man's possessions. And they listed, listed all that, but... 
just a synopsis here. Number one, he, he listed uh, human beings. And those human beings, in that case, was his wife or wives and children. He owned them, much like the concept is today. Uh, I know there's been some fathers that says to a young adolescent teenager and saying, I don't care, as long as you're under the roof of my house, you'll do as I say. Well, that's because of ownership, see. I own, I own everything in my house, and when my kids heard that, they, I said, they said, even our toys? I said, yeah, I paid for them. So that was the concept there that, uh, of his household. Next in the list was his animals. You know, today we own animals. Uh, some of you own cattle, horses, dogs, cats, whatever. Those were, those were listen, listed there. But then the last thing was the living machines. Living machines. And that was, that was the slaves. So they were in the same category of tools and the machines that they had to carry out. So... Uh, what, I mean, if you had a definition, I think Webster's probably says uh, it, uh, one that is subservient to a dominating influence. That's, that's slavery. Any type of control over you results in a slavery mentality. People that exert control over you, it, it, it is a slave. In fact, uh, what is it in First Peter chapter 3 where it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own uh, husbands. Uh, let them be subject to their own husband. And the word subject there is not the word for slave. It is the Greek word hupotasso. Hupotasso is, a, is, a, is an automatic, uh, on-purpose will that you present to someone else. It's always voluntary. So wives are never supposed to be seen as slaves, that she has to do exactly everything that the husband says. Uh, as I've told in many counseling sessions to wives that were being abused at home and reminded them that that husband did not shed the blood for her, Jesus did, and that she doesn't have to submit to maltreatment or anything like that. In fact, I told one lady who was so badly abused, I told her to go get a thirty-eight. I said, you back that man off. I said, there's no, there's no reason for this. So, some of the characteristics of slavery today as well as back then is that the self-worth was totally eroded. They had, they had no self-worth. They, they were abandoned by their gods, little g. They were abandoned by human beings. They had no personal meaning or purpose. There was no love for them. They were considered worse than dogs. They were just something that had to be to get the tasks done, to get things done. See, uh, it's been said back home in Eastern Tennessee. I don't know if it was out here or not, but uh, people were asked. Well, you know, people have, you know, ten kids, fifteen kids, and that's why do you have so many? Well, first they didn't practice birth control, but but the real reason was they needed work hands. They needed kids to get out there and help the family raise the food, which was fine. I mean, that, that's I'm not speaking against that. But uh, the slaves, the slave mentality is that I have no purpose or meaning. I'm just supposed to do whatever I'm told to do. And, and that's my worth. So everything was mechanical. They were, sometimes this didn't represent change. They, they, they weren't chained up, but they were chained up emotionally. 
You know, they may not be, and sometimes they were chained when they weren't working. Uh, but, they, but they were mentally changed. Now, the only thing that was left for a slave, uh, and I don't care whether it's a slave or, or a free man, every person, every human being has uh, a need for acceptance. They have a need for love. They have a need to be recognized. They have a need for security. That, that is the basic needs of humanity, saved or unsaved. Love, acceptance, recognition, and security. Everybody has that need, has that drive, has that, that desire, the desire to be significant. Even though you were a slave, you still had that desire. And so the only thing that was left to these slaves is performance. Performance. This was their value. How well I performed. Now, Paul outlines two kinds of slaves here. There are many kinds. There are six, seven different kinds of slaves. But, but he basically, these two things that he said about them here, uh, all slavery falls under that category. And the first one he says here, he says not, verse 6, not with eye service, comma, and as men pleasers. So there's two different kinds there. There's, there's those that serve in eye service, and those that are classically men-pleasers. Now the men-pleasers, here, here's the way that they lived their life. Now see if this doesn't, if you, if you don't recognize some people are this way today. The men-pleasers, their view was my performance plus what you think about it equals my worth or my value. My performance now, people, there's lots of church people out there today, lots of non-church people who live their life based on that concept. They're, they're driven to perform to perfection so that they will be accepted. See, I've known pastors that had the wrong idea of love and would force people to live a certain way. And if they didn't, they were condemned or chastised or whatever. But when they did, they were praised. And so that, that put a mentality in the local church that people were not really free. They were in bondage, see. Bondage to laws, rules, regulations. Trying to live up to a standard that e even people under the, the Mosaic law couldn't even live under, see. I'm, I'm reminded of uh, years ago when I was a Pentecostal preacher, uh, we were told that we couldn't... I mean, when I first heard this at 18 years old, I thought, my God, what do they mean? They were talking about mixed bathing. I said, what do you mean people... Do they bath? Do they take baths together? But that, what they were talking about was swimming. So pe the, the women and the men could not swim together in the same pool or beach or whatever. And, and if the women did go, they had to wear the garb. They couldn't show any skin or anything. And so... Uh, you say, yeah, but you know what? People are not like that today. Listen to me. In the Muslim community, women are suffering. They, you talk about slavery. But you know, even it, it is even in the, crept into the Christian church. There's places in the world that women are second-class citizens, treated just exactly like slaves, having to do this and having to do that, had no choice in the matter. The choice was taken away. So... So if, if your relationship with someone is that you have no choice in the matter, then you're not a partner, 
you are not in a contractual marriage, you're simply a slave. You know. And you have to operate according to his or her will. Now, with this, with this performance-based mindset, these slaves, and in, in, in the case is some Christians, uh, they, they have a mindset and they, they, use, they learn to be mind readers or face readers. They live their lives based on your smile. And if you frown at something they do, it just crushes their world, see? I didn't know this until later after my son was grown. But many times he would do something and I wouldn't say anything. I would just go, just shake my head. I didn't really know he saw me. But that really struck his heart in a bad way. Because dad was displeased, see. And I wasn't a taskmaster. I, he would just do stupid stuff sometimes and I'd just shake my head. But, uh, but that affected him. So, so if you have a slavery mentality then you're going to live for the smile of somebody else. You know, there's, there's actually been people leave churches over that. Well, there, was, there wasn't one person shook my hand. Well, you, what are you living for, a handshake? Well, you know, they didn't look right at me. I don't, I, there must be something wrong. I, I just can't go back to that. We don't have any of that problem here. I'm not addressing that for this body. But, but, but universally, the church has eat up with it. There's people that... Remember back years ago when the people would dress up for Sunday school? Dress up for church. Put on their Sunday panties. She's got... That's an inside joke. Uh, one, of, one of the little... Her daughter, when she was real little, they, they'd say, now put your Sunday panties on. When I heard that, I thought, what does that mean? Who sees them? <laughs> you know? One with the ruffles, that's it. But that used to be the mentality that people had about church. They would dress up. I mean, we, I remember the time when we dressed up to go to the store. But uh, all you got to do is get on YouTube. You can see Walmart people do not dress up to go. They dress down to go to Walmart. But uh, anyway, with this performance-based mentality, which, which the church, a lot of the church people have. In fact, it even creeps over into their personal relationship with God, thinking that they have to please Him, and so they're so performance-based that their whole salvation depends on how well they perform. You know, well, did you read your Bible today? Uh, how many hours did you pray today? How long did you do this? Did you go do all your, do, whatever? You, you, get, you get to think. So, uh, with, this, with this performance mindset, Judgments come so easy. Uh, as I said, frowns are dev devastating to this mindset. Pe people that, that are locked up in that kind of a judgment mentality, performance mentality, you know, th they become obsessively uh, focused on imperfections, trying to make everything just right. See? Now, I'm not saying Teru's that way, but she does take two hours to get ready. I say, honey, you look good with no makeup on, much less all that. But anyway, she cares more about what you guys think than I. Okay? And I know this is my anniversary, but still. She don't dress up like that for me. Put it that way. I'm just glad to be a... You know, the first thing, I'll just tell this, is that the first time I met her, we had met, as I said, on eHarmony.
and uh, so we we talked for a while on the phone and stuff. So we decided to meet at Texas Roadhouse in Douglasville, Georgia. And I pulled up there. I had this big, nice, new Dodge truck. Boy, I wanted to impress. So she pulled up in her little car and got out. I got out. I looked at her. Honest to God, now I said this. I said, your ex-husband's an idiot. <laughs> she said, yes, he is. <laughs> you know, a slave mentality means that you can't handle criticism because you want to be pleasing all the time. See, If you're a men-pleaser, if, 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 it's that you're, if your type is men-pleaser, then you want to be pleasing to the people that you associate with. Uh, the next kind, which there's more we could say about the men-pleasers, you got to get, get the gist of it there. But the next kind is eye service. Eye service mentality... Uh, they work only when they're watched. Looks is everything. They want to look busy. I've seen that places I've worked. I've heard people, oh, you know, here, here, here comes the supervisor. We better look busy. Because if you're not busy, they're going to stop and tell you to do something else. But if you, you know, look busy. Or, or secretaries maybe will uh, pick up the phone and act like they're talking on the phone, you know. You, you guys remember that my definition of what a lie is? A lie is a conscious effort to deceive. It's not just out and out bold-faced lying. I mean, if you're acting like that you're busy and you're not, you're deceiving your master or your employer or whatever. So, so see, and, and there's thing, brother, brother Dave Roberson really gave some revelation about this. That lying will cause your prayers not to be answered. You say, yeah, but I'm not lying. Well, if you're doing things like that, you are. And then people wonder, you know, well, I can't get a prayer through. Okay. Well, what are you doing that's keeping the enemy in your business? See, It's not that God's withdrawn. It's that that allows a door for the enemy to come in and make your, your, either your finances or your prayers or whatever not work. An eye service servant will, will uh, his whole thing is just to get by. We've got to do this just to get by. Looks is all that matters. They do, is, they do it because they have to. An eye service servant or an eye service attitude is basically laziness. Laziness. They're, they're motivated by, well, I should do it or I ought to do it, but I'm just going to do it to get by. Both kinds of slaves... Uh, they're afraid to take initiative. They're afraid to, you know, they're hesitant. They're, a, they're, a pro, they're into procrastination, putting things off because, you know, you're, you, your life is ruled by fear of being accepted or not. And so you, you want to really give yourself over to the fact that, you know, they've got to know that I am loyal. They've got to know that, that I work very hard. Or if it's the eye service guy, they've got to, I've got to look like, you know, I'm very loyal and committed but you know what is at the heart of these people's lives? Hatred, true hatred, is cemented in their hearts. True hatred. No love. 
They do not serve for love. They don't do anything in the name of love. They, in fact, many people don't even know what real love is. See? Especially with a slave mentality. If you were raised in a home that you were that you were uh, you had to earn the acceptance and approval of your parents, then at the very bottom of their heart, the very foundation of their lives is built on performance, and it sabotages their heart, and many times doesn't even show up till they're in their twenties. Many times, people like that get to the point of their lives. We call it a midlife crisis. Because a lot of these men, a lot of these ideas and concepts about their own life start showing up and people can't handle it. They just go off. They just go off. So we've, we've got to understand both kinds of slavery, they saw themselves as victims. They're always covetous, meaning that they're always wanting something. Always. A slave mentality, if they become to the point where they're incapacitated and maybe in a nursing home or having to be cared for, if you'll notice, those people are always wanting. They're always desiring something else. They're never satisfied they, because of the lack that they have in their heart, you see. But how much better is it when, when you come into the kingdom of God, become one of His children, and then you suddenly realize that He loves me. Learn to find out what real love is. Conditional love is void in the kingdom of God. God's love is unconditional. You never have. In fact, if you tried to earn it, it would negate it. it. It would put you out of the running to even receive the love of God. But there's many people around us today. You see, precious people at Cross Point. We are in contact with people every day with these issues. And we have the answers for them. We can tell them. I wanted to preach Friday night so bad at that prayer vigil. The Holy Spirit gave me a word for them. He said to tell them that faith begins where the will of God is known. And there's so much in that because without knowing God's will, you can't have faith. Because you're always in question. Well, I don't really know if it's God's will to heal me. I mean, what if somebody that was laced with that kind of slavery attitude that you have to earn healing from God, and they tell brother, what's his face? Jackie, that Pam, his wife, uh, may not, it may not be God's will. So the will of God not being known there, she or Jackie or anybody can't have faith for that will. See, Well, it may be God trying to show them. No. Jesus came to show us the Father. And He told His disciples and the Pharisees and scribes, He said, if you have seen Me, you have seen the Father. And that needs to be the testimony of our lives. To live in such a way that if people see us, they see Jesus. Because we are Jesus in the earth, you see. We are His representative. We are the body of Christ. And we are the only hope that people have. We can't sit around in four walls here and wait for them to come. We have to go after them. We have to tell them, hey, did you realize 
that God loves you unconditionally. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to quit sinning for Him to love you. He loves you in the midst of your sin. He loves you when you mess up. God's love doesn't change whether you pray one verb or not. He still loves you. Always. It cannot be pulled back. You see, anytime love is withdrawn, it's not agape anymore. It's, it's one of the other three kind. And, and it doesn't help anybody. Because love, that's, love that is earned is not love, first of all, but it cannot help you. It's sort of like, let's see, let's pull this into the, let's pull this into the church example here. If we, for example, bought a couple of school buses and wanted to go bus children in here so that our church would be full, uh, we, we need to really check what the motive there is. But once you start doing that, you're going to always have to do it. Or if you don't, they quit coming. Any kind of a program that a church does, once they start it, it's going to always have to be uh, because of that result that it brings. See? So don't get caught up in that. The, the perfect way to do it is hearing from heaven and then doing the thing. If it's school buses or bazaars or playgrounds or what, it, be led by the Spirit. See? See, how, see how important it is to love God? Because then your motivation is love. It's not, it's not dependent upon uh, performance. Uh, uh, both, both, as I said, both kinds of slaves see themselves as victims. Self-pity is usually their attitude. Oh, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, mooch faith. You know what mooch faith is? Have you ever been around anybody that has mooch faith? Huh? What is it? Yeah. That's right. They're trying to elicit some kind of, uh, of monetary gain from you or some kind of advantage and they drop little hints. Well, you know, I had to do this. And, you know, we're just hurting so bad. That's mooch faith. Slavery mentality has mooch faith. Why? Because they don't have anything. They're without A slavery mentality is also involved in gossip. You know, running, running people down. Telling somebody's secret basically is gossip. But here, here's the reason why that someone with a slave mentality runs other people down. is because they have a great need to be better than they are. So when they start telling you things, well, did you know she did this? Or, or did, did you hear about him? What happened? See, they have a need to feel better, to be superior. That's where the old works righteousness attitude comes from ultra-Pentecostals and fundamental Baptists and people like that that are so involved in, in a clothesline type belief system because they, 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 count, they feel real good about themselves when they come in all decked out to church and you know, dressed to the nines, and then they look down their nose at somebody that just has a pair of jeans tattered and torn and dirty. It makes them feel better about themselves. Isn't that awful? It's like that thing I read about that preacher. The, the church got a new, brand new preacher. Nobody had ever met him. 
So he showed up one day dressed in as a bum and came in and was told he had to sit back here and all that kind of treated him real bad. And so then he went up and announced who he was. Showed everybody's heart, see. So there's many people today that are in slavery that don't know they are. You see, the prison, as Brother Dave Roberson's got a series, the prison is in the mind. See, Your slavery is in your mind. You, you can actually be a slave, a literal slave, and be free. You can be in prison and be free. Or you can be free and be a slave and be in prison. So I'm telling you, that's why Paul is talking about this. He said, you, you be obedient to your servants. Be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. Now, there's not many of us today that are faced with that kind of a situation. But we all have employers, pretty much. And we have to give them service. The right kind of service. The kind that is not a men pleaser. We, we would call that today brown nosers. We don't need employees that are brown nosers, you know, just getting close to the boss just because it's advantageous. Or we don't need people that are just trying to shirk. I mean, I actually worked with a guy one time. He came back from the bathroom. He'd been in there a long time. He said, man, glory to God, I got in 40 chapters today. I read 40 chapters today. And he got paid for it. I said, well, brother, you're a thief then. What do you mean? I said, your time belongs to your employer while you're here. Doesn't belong to you. A slave had to give his master his life. He didn't have choices. He had no choice. He had to say, okay, I'm yours, whatever. I, you know, go do it. I know dad one time had to, he was uh, the president. They had a little association for the cemetery up home. Hooper Cemetery is up on the ridge from our house. And, of course, you know, it was been passed down. The, the, the leadership had been passed down. It was Dad's turn. And so Dad had to have a grave dug for somebody. And so these guys came, and Dad was standing there, and they started doing it a certain way. And Dad said, no, I don't want it done that way. I want it done this way. I want it this wide. I want it this deep. Well, you know, we don't really do it. We're just, we'd rather do it our way. He said, no. You are going to do it my way or we're going to find somebody else to do it. And that's perfectly okay. Employers, or in this case, masters, your owners, you had to do it the way they wanted it or you weren't a good uh, servant. See, And there's nothing wrong with that. His attitude is what the Lord needs to deal with. But y'all get anything out of this? So, if, if, if you see people that feel good about running other people down, they have a slave mentality. The wrong kind. Now here in America, we live, we call it the land of the free, the home of the brave. But what we have in America here is a land full of slaves. Servitude to the money. Servitude to uh, acceptance and recognition. A slave will only love to be loved. Now think about that. If Teru only loves me because I love her, then there's a there's a, there's a uh, there's something between us that's not good. She is to love me 
because she loves Jesus, love me in an unconditional way, and I'm to love her that way, see. Like one of my co-workers one time, we were riding from Atlanta over to Augusta, which is about three hours. And he started talking to me about his marital problems. He was uh, from Romania. His wife was from, from Romania, a lot younger than him. And so he started sharing with me about things, and the Holy Spirit just rose up. He said, you tell him that if he will treat her like a princess, she will treat him like a king. He just, mouth just dropped. Because I'm telling you, he wasn't treating her like a princess. He was treating her like he owned her, that she had to do. Because, you know, he's the husband, he's the head, she had to do. Listen, listen, guys, you may be the head of the household, but your wife is the neck. And the head can't turn without the neck. Amen? It's always a good policy. I shared this with, uh, with Norman yesterday. It's always a good policy. Just do what she says. There, there's many times, uh, there's many times that I said, Terry, I'm not, well, I'm not doing that. And later on, I wish I'd have listened to you. Yep, yep. So I'll tell you what let's do. Let's take the slave test today. The slave test is this. Does performance plus what others think of me equal my worth? Only you can answer that. Number two, am I just doing to get by and blaming others for my condition? It's like that guy that Jesus came up to in John chapter 5. Jesus walked in there to the, to the pool of Siloam. And, and there was a lot of impotent folk laying all around. People that were needing healing. Because the custom was that an angel came down and troubled the waters. And the person that fell into the water first was healed. And so Jesus walked in and looked at him and said, What are you doing laying there? What? He said, Will you be healed? You know what the man's answer was? Uh, I have no man to put me in the water when the water moves and, and so everybody steps down before me and they get it and I don't. So you see that blame shifting? We're blame shifting. Well, why don't you receive? Well, you know, I just, many, many is the explanation. So what is your motivation for, 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 for performance then? I want to perform for the Lord good, don't you? I want to do His will. I mean, that's what all about for us leaving in March. We're following the Lord. I'm not disgruntled. My God, it's the worst decision I've ever made. Because we love you guys. I mean, and I'm understanding that. It's easy to get up and use words, but I mean that. Y'all will be a, have a large part of our heart for the rest of our lives. And I'm not going to try to root you out either. But see, doing the will of God from the heart. Paul says that. Doing the will of God from the heart. Not just to be seen. Not just so you can look good. But from the heart. I want to do the will of the Lord from the heart. Do you hide your fear of failure with an attitude of a know-it-all? A lot of people will try to cover their inadequacies by thinking that, making people think they know-it-all. Do, do, do you tell lies to make yourself look good? I have a relative that if he opens his mouth, he's lying. It's uncanny. I got, I got his goat one of these days back, back when he was a boy. 
we convinced him that he had dog blood in him. And uh, he was proud of it, boy, so he would, he'd boast about it. Yeah, I got dog blood in me. I said, well, buddy, I said, it came from your mom's side. <laughs> but the boy lies all the time. I mean, he's up nearly 30 years old now. Lies all the time, see. And you know, the, the pitiful part about it is, he has such a low self-worth. Low self-esteem. He has to always. He had the people at his work believing that he used to be in special forces and he had 42 uh, kills. 42 kills. I forget what they call them. And the boy ain't even been in the service. That's one of the ways that we need to start having compassion and love for people. When we get around them and we know that, they're, you know, that they, they have that problem. It's because they want you to like them. They want you to be proud of them. Wouldn't it be wonderful to put your arm around somebody like that and say, look, I love you. I love you because Jesus loves me. And I can love you no less. You don't have to impress me to get me to love you. You don't have to do what I tell you to get me to love you. I, I, I love you on purpose. Amen? That's how we can really minister to people. Do you blame your dysfunctional family on your situations? That's a good portion of the United States right there. My uncle told me one time after watching Jerry Springer, he said, Jerry, he said, I'm excited. I said, what, Tom? He said, we're in the top 10% of good people in this nation. He said, because them people on that show, just they are sick, sick people. So, Adam started that. God said, what are you doing eating that stuff? He said, well, the woman you gave me. You know, that's, she gave it to me. Of course, I did eat. But uh, that didn't suffice, did it? That didn't, that didn't help matters. So, what people need to, to find out is that we have been bought with a price. The blood of Jesus has paid for every single human being on this planet, and then some. We need to understand that, that 1 Corinthians 7, 23, know you not you have bought with a price. But we are unconditionally loved, unconditionally accepted, unconditionally recognized. You know, God is interested in your minute details of your life. He's interested whether you like your haircut or not. He's interested in everything about us. It's why he wouldn't bother. Yeah, he is. You say, how can he be so interested in me and everybody else too? That's what makes him God. God can speak to you and me at the same time in different places around the world. He's God. And, and that kind of love cannot be uh, done away with. You see, rebellion is never the answer. Trying to fight and, and, and rebel is never going to get you anything. You see, people, this is why that I don't do demonstrations about our government. I don't get out and picket and carry signs and all those kind of things. I'm a lover because I'm loved. You say, yeah, but shouldn't you pray? Well, yeah. Paul said pray for the kings and those that are in authority. 
Why though? So you can have the right people in, in office? So that you can live a quiet and peaceable life. That's why we pray for our leaders. Now I've been guilty as any of the rest of us from criticizing uh, government officials because they're evil. They're heathens. They worship false gods. They commit horrible, horrible acts and sins against children. But it still behooves me to pray for them. Did you realize, can you think of somebody in your mind right now that is the most horrible person you've ever been around or ever heard of? Now think of this. God's love is exactly the same toward them as He is you. How can that be? He's God. He looks on the heart. He doesn't look on the outward. He sees the value of that person deep inside. We need to start seeing that in people. And stop looking at the exterior. Because it's human nature to, to shun ugly. And it's human nature to draw yourself toward pretty. I, I, I'm just thrilled that God made women pretty. I mean, wouldn't it be awful? That's one reason I'm glad I'm married to her. I said, you know, I get to look at this the rest of my life. And them, them girls that I was head over heels in love with in high school, you ought to see their picture now. Now, isn't that shallow? That's human nature, you see. I don't believe ugly ever came from God. I believe it came from the devil. But still, there's a spirit inside them that God gave His Son for. The real person on the inside. He gave His life for them. Amen? We've got to, we've got to walk around with this kind of mentality uh, because, because if we don't, we'll get into just like the world is. Uh, we, we must get to the place where that we don't need to believe that the problems of our life is outside us. The problems of our life, listen to me, all of the problems that you and I face every day is centered around self-worth. Centered around it. And I know, you know, that'll take some meditation and thinking a lot about understanding that, but it, it is so true. Our problems are not out there. Our problem's not with the devil. Jesus conquered him. Our problem's not with mean people. Our problem is what's in our heart. How do we view ourselves? Do you value, do you, do you value yourself like God does? Do you see yourself as valuable and precious to Him? Individually. Not just as a group, but I'm talking about individually. So, obedience is a choice. It can never be forced. It's a choice. See, that's why we're to raise our children toward independence. Teaching them to make good choices. See, not just forcing them like a horse to obey. You know, we put bits in a horse's mouth to make them obey. But you know, it's interesting that over there in Proverbs, train up a child in the way that they shall go. And the, the original Hebrew renders it this way, even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Because forced labor is never because of love, is it? Victims don't choose, they are forced to choose by the jailer that rules their lives. 
Many people are in jail today, and the jailer will always make them suffer. You see, a person that, that makes a choice is not a slave. Because slaves, slaves couldn't make a choice. They had no choice. They had to do what their master said. A.W. Tozier has a book called Freedom to Choose. Wonderful, wonderful. And we do have that, prison, that, that freedom. So you see, now you have the choice to obey your master, the Lord Jesus. You have that choice. And see, herein lies the problem with the church world around the world. Here in Cross Point, as well as any other church around, is that we need to realize that we've been bought with a price and we are a slave to our master. It's called a, a love slave. Now I know the world has another definition for that. But my definition for a love slave is that my God has loved me unconditionally. He's given me everything that pertains to life and godliness. Look what He's done for me. I will serve Him for the rest of my life. This is the, this is the, the spirit or this is, this is the very core of Romans 12.1. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. And I'm going to add this, my own interpretation here, and never to take it back again. Leave it in the hands of God. Become a servant of God. Servants don't have choices, do they? When you give up your life, it's given. But you know what? Only a love slave for God has free, true freedom. The freedom that we could never have anywhere else. Because we have a good master. If we will just give Him our will, give Him our whole lives, then there will be no problem with churches growing. There will be no problem with people coming into the kingdom of God. Because everywhere we go, we're a servant. What you want me to do today, Holy Spirit? And He'll tell you what to do and you go do it and and, 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 and give God the glory. Amen. So, so this needs to be in our mouths. That my master loved me. Gave himself for me. Died for me. Gave me his standing. Raised me up together with him. And seated me with him. Amen. You know this word doulos is the Greek word for slave. Servant. Slave. It's, did you know that in Luke 1.38, Mary said that she was the handmaid of the Lord? It's the word doulos. I am a slave for my Lord. I am ready to be used by Him. Bond slave, that's listed in the Word of God. Paul said he was a bond slave of God. Same, same word. In Exodus 21, you can read this on your own time. We're not going to go over there. In Exodus 21, verse 2 through 6, actually, it's talking about a slave that loved his master so much that they took an awl and put his ear to the doorpost of his master's house. And they drove that awl into the doorpost through his ear. Meaning two things. That meant that he was for his master for the rest of his life. And that he loved him so much that he would not listen to anyone else. He'll never take another instruction from anybody. 
So let's put that in present tense. Is your, na- is your ear nailed to the doorpost of God's house? And are you only going to listen to Him? That means all temptations, all other words. Are you going to hearken unto somebody else's instructions? Are you going to say, uh, well, you know, what do you think about it? And somebody tells you, well, I wouldn't do that for Him. Listen, I owe my Master my life. And I'm willing to give it up for Him. That's why I came here. And as hard as it is, that's why we're not staying because God said there's something else. Please keep us in your prayers about that. Brother Tim, as I told most of you yesterday, told me that Jesus told him that there was two places opening up. One in Florida, one in Georgia. And that I was going to have to find out from Jesus where it was and which one I wanted. So, I'm not trading you guys in. Please don't think that. Because, I mean, I told Terry, I said, if we could just move all of our relatives up here, first of all, we'd have a full church. But I said, we'd stay here forever. Or, if I could just get everything here, building, land, people, and move down there. You'd like it better, but I'm just kidding. Isn't it interesting how what some people call home? Home is home. It'll always feel like home to you. Even though, I mean, somebody was telling me about Owensboro, Kentucky yesterday, that if there was an armpit for the world, it would be there. My dad said if Middlesboro, Kentucky, uh, well, I, I shouldn't say that, I don't guess. He said if it needed an enema, it would have been inserted in Middlesboro. But people call it home there. They like it. I mean, up in the hollers, they call them hollers back home, not hollows, but up in the hollers of East Tennessee and Kentucky. I mean, people live, these, these documentaries you see, it's true. But it's home. It feels like home to them. See. I was born in a place called Stinking Creek, Tennessee. In a little slab house that, that Grandpa had built. And I've heard different stories as to why it was called Stinking Creek. The best one I like to believe is that a bunch of cattle died in the creek and it made the creek stink. You know, 150, 200 years ago, whatever. But it seems like home to us. For years, when I was a kid, we'd go back over there. There's a little graveyard that some of them are buried in right above it, on the, up on the bank there. We'd go there and dress the graves. It was home. We'd take pictures. It was home. Well, I'm telling you, we need to make our home with the Lord. Let us be content in being in Christ. That way we are unleashed to the world. That everywhere we go, that's why Paul said, in everything I am considered to be content with no matter what state I am in, whether it's Oklahoma or Georgia, no matter what state, they didn't mean that. Uh, He said, I'm going to be content, finding contentment. Contentment is the most important thing to have in your life. Content with with God is the most important thing. That way you'll feel like home is everywhere. Because you see, the reality is that our home, our address, is now in heaven. We just live in these bodies for a while. So you see how living according to the flesh will deviate us and make us, you know, from, from what God intended for us. Living your life for yourself, your wants, your desires, doing what you want to do, 
becoming a slave on Sunday and Wednesdays. But the rest of the time, you're free. You're just going to do whatever you want to do. God needs 24-7. He wants us. He wants you. He doesn't want what you can give. That's why the, I hate it what the preachers have done to the money giving in the church to make you people. They have an underlying conscience that I've got to do this for God to approve of me. You don't have to do that. He approves on you whether you ever give a penny or not. Now, I don't know how this other brother, that if you guys vote him in, if he comes, what he does about that. But believe what he tells you. You know, check it out with the Holy Ghost and the Scripture. But, but anyway, I, I understand that uh, my view about money is a lot different than most preachers. I just wanted to set your heart free from bondage. Amen. Now, I, I just believe you guys are going to give for the right reason no matter what. Amen. So, there's much more we could say for this. Uh, Matthew 18, verses 27 and 28 says the Lord of that servant forgave him the debt, but that servant had such a slave's attitude and, and, and perspective, he turned around in fear and made a fellow servant pay him and was beating him. Romans 12, as I said a while ago, 12.1. Psalm 73.25, the psalmist summed it all up. Here's, here's the attitude. Here's something we need to quote every day of our lives. Psalm 73 and 25. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. That puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Amen. Let's stand up.